0: Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic movie review podcast. I'm your co host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick. Visit us at ihatecritics.net, Everyone's a Critic podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Critics Pod. Uh, that is our handle. Subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Uh, if you give us a five star review, we'll read it on the air and we will give you a Blu-ray that Sean has gotten from one of our we got a
1: full box of them.
0: Yeah, so send us those five-star reviews on a- Apple Podcasts, and we will read them on the air. Uh, Patreon.com slash pod is the best way to help support the podcast. And I'm sure there's other things I'm forgetting. Uh, TPublic at IHateCritics.net. Click on the TPublic link or look up CriticsPod at TPublic.com. Alright, let's just jump right into the show, because it's been a while since I've been here, and Mm -hmm. we missed last week, and uh, we'll just jump right into it with a movie I've been dying to see more than anything all year long, and my wife wouldn't let me see it, because we didn't, because I have to see Don't Look Now before I can see anything else with her in the theater, (laughs) so Amsterdam, please tell me it sucks.
1: Amsterdam is uh, the latest movie from uh, the team behind American Hustle and uh, David O. Russell, Christian Bale, uh, and it's got an all-star cast. And you may have heard this story, a part of this story anyway, because it's based on the story of of, uh, General Smedley. Oh, gosh, what's his name? Smedley. I can't remember, but it's an episode of The Dollop uh from uh from years ago, uh back in episode ninety-four of the dollop actually did this story. Uh from a different angle. The angle they did it from the angle of Robert De Niro's character, who we'll get to in a moment. But uh initially the story starts with the the meaning of Christian Bale and John David Washington. Christian Bale is a guy who enlists in the army to go to fight in World War One at the behest of his very rich uh, family, uh, his uh, wife's family, at least. Uh, they want him to be a war hero. Uh, that'll make him fit in on Park Avenue for some reason. Uh, he ends up being assigned to a a, a, a a group of soldiers who are mostly black, and he is white, and uh, he ends up uh, be, you know, become befriending uh, the, one of his lead soldiers, played by John David Washington, and that's how their relationship begins. Uh, it's World War I. It's a very bloody battle. They both get uh, badly injured. They end up in a French hospital where Margot Robbie's character is and she's acting as a nurse and she's taking she takes care of them and in the end once the war ends they all end up in Amsterdam together and uh, they spend a solid six months there together just living and being friends Uh, John David Washington and Margot Robbie are falling in love Christian Bale is learning to become a better doctor and helping to treat uh, wounded soldiers and uh, that's how he ends up going back to New York he wants to help more wounded soldiers who are back back home and uh, see what he can do for them sort of in a black market sort of way, because some of the treatments that he does are not necessarily above board. He's testing out various different types of drugs, and all that is very is very moving and also very funny. Uh, they get sucked into a plot when Taylor Swift's character shows up. She is the daughter of a of uh, Ed Begley Jr. Ed Begley Jr.'s character is a former general. He was their commanding officer in World War I, and he was murdered recently, and she wants them to look into his murder, but then she gets murdered. And they get blamed for that murder. And uh, a lot of things ensue. But it all comes down to them needing to convince a general played by Robert De Niro to give a speech at uh, their at their uh, military reunion. Uh, and this is where the Smedley-Butler plot comes in. Smedley-Butler was responsible for stopping American fascism pretty much on his own in, in 1934. Uh, at a time when Germany and Italy were rising in fascism, they were partnering with corporate america to find a way to undermine roosevelt and install fascism in america smedley butler was essentially the leader of the american veterans association now all veterans listen to smedley and so if they wanted somebody who's going to be their dictator it would be him and that's the character that robert de niro plays here under a different name but it's the same story. And what we're confolding here is a plot to stop American fascism. It's a very weird movie. Uh, it's a very good-hearted movie. There's a lot of really interesting performances. This is the strangest script that uh, David O. Russell has ever worked with. Undoubtedly, the characters rarely ever talk like you would expect anybody to talk. Sometimes they speak in ways that are just a little too on the nose, a little bit too upbeat considering what they're up against uh and that can be a little bit off but as it gains momentum towards the end it does get much better and much more interesting and uh, i love the twists and turns of this and then when i started to recognize the story i'm like i know this now it's like this is uh this is that episode of the dollop (laughs) and once i realized that i really became invested and uh and yeah there's a lot of real fun things going on in this movie
0: Yeah, I had read a couple bad reviews about it, but also, I mean, David O. Russell's very polarizing. People, too, my favorite Mm -hmm. movie. I mean, Silver Linings Playbook was my favorite movie that year. American Hustle was my favorite movie that year. But people didn't like those movies, too. You either loved them or hated them. There was, like, no in-between. So I wondered if this was like that or not, but you kind of made it sound like it is his weirdest script, so...
1: Life. One of the things that I, I read about this, and I, I passed this by very quickly because I wasn't sure what this could possibly mean, but somebody called this movie Too Woke, which kind of like blew my mind because it's about stopping fascism in America. So, in suddenly that's a too Woke value. <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> like, this is way too woke for David O. Russell. I just... <laughs> was a weird criticism i i kind of get what they were going for maybe this critic whoever they are who said that i I didn't want to spend too much time looking at it because i wanted to anytime i see the word woke on twitter i just kind of try and keep scrolling keep scrolling you're not gonna like it keep scrolling right (laughs) but uh there there is a lot of uh i think there's a lot of treatment here of of assimilation of you know blacks and whites it's given a very uh a soft touch i would say uh john david washington doesn't seem to face as much racism as you might think you would face considering the situations that they find themselves in they nod to it but they don't really get into it and i don't know maybe that's my perception of history i that all black people were just simply mistreated all the time and that's certainly not everyone's experience of being constantly mistreated by racism I'm sure that's most people's experience at the time. Black people, I mean. But uh, it maybe wasn't this character's uh, perspective. That said, these characters are invented characters to go alongside the uh, the business plot, as it was called, on the dollop and uh, what it was called in history. It really did happen. Uh, the heads of four major corporations did try to take over this country using a general who would command the veterans to overtake Roosevelt and install Smedley Butler as the new president of the United States that did happen. And it all hinged on Smedley Butler simply not doing that. Jeez. And you couldn't pick a better guy than Robert De Niro to sort of embody those values.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, the whole cast is pretty amazing. I don't know how good they are in the movie or not, but just looking at the names at the top of the poster here.
1: I think this has got a lot more fat on it than than your typical David O. Russell movie. Uh, I think America, like when I thought, I think of American Hustle, I don't think of it being two and a half hours long. I feel that maybe, that movie feels much tighter. even Silver Linings Playbook feels tighter because those characters are so sharp mm-hmm. and 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 they're constantly in the moment. This one does feel like it drags. You could, I was making edits in my head of what you could take out of this to make it move quicker. And uh, the, those elements, I thought, yeah. I mean, it all makes sense in the end. You could see why he wanted them. There's a lot of scenes that would seem very precious to a director as as they're written and as they're performed. Like, I don't want to lose that. That character is so good in this moment. (laughs) Like, a couple with, I would imagine there's a couple here with Michael Shannon and and, uh, Mike Myers who play sort of. partners in birding if you will and uh, they uh they have a couple of really great moments and they're really terrific in it but i can see where we might be able to take that out uh the same could go for say the too many times that uh anya taylor joy seems to interject herself into the movie she seems to be forcing herself in between all the other characters at times and i think you could probably trim that back a little bit uh other than that you know it, it, this movie most of it i think is so very very good and it's such a great story that i think it holds together enough um yeah it, the, the but don't go to into the dollop episode thing you're going to find these three characters again that one's specifically from the perspective of uh who de niro is playing in this movie
0: don't worry about that <laughs> uh yeah, I don't have much more other than I'm still very interested in it. I, he's one, Even though he can be a dick from what I hear, he I really like his movies. David O. Russell, that is. So. Uh-huh. Uh, how is Chris Rock? I know the big thing was uh, Christian Bale couldn't be around him because Chris Rock made him laugh so much, and he fell out of character. So <laughs> he did not interact with Chris Rock much. At least that was the narrative on the talk show scenes.
1: I the, uh, Chris Rock is very straight in the movie he he doesn't like uh, typically go over the top I'm I'm sure there's probably some stuff on set that uh takes, yeah. We, yeah but it's actually a very it's one of the more straightforward performances by Chris Rock he's not on screen all that much really Yeah
0: All right do you think it hangs around for award season or is it too I think too it's too fat.
1: polarizing, probably. I, I don't think it's quite as strong, like tone-wise. It doesn't have the sharpness that that Russell is so well known for, uh, and and that's a it, it's it's a little too soft in the end. Fair enough.
0: All right, let's move on to a movie. I didn't even know existed. Uh, Hellraiser is this a remake? I'm assuming
1: <laughs> this is a, sort of a reimagining, I guess, a restarting uh, with a new. Sort of um, idea. Uh, it's the similar to the original Hellraiser, but a full on reimagining of the story and the characters. Uh, so the idea here is that this version of Hellraiser uh, is pushed forward by a character played by Goran Vizhnick. He is a multi-billionaire who is has gone so far in the direction of seeking pleasure that he's. Uh, finally sought out the Cenobites, who he has, uh, to his understanding, can promise him uh, feelings beyond any uh, imaginable. And so he seeks out the puzzle box. He uses various different people to to open the puzzle box by poisoning them with the, poison, with the puzzle box so he can get it to the proper configuration where he can have an audience with God. Uh, and uh, whether he gets there or not, you'll have to wait and see, but... Uh, <laughs> he his plot then requires him to allow the puzzle box to be stolen that it does end up getting stolen by a former uh drug and alcohol addict who is our lead in the film and uh she ends up getting cursed by the box but uh the cenobites don't want to take her they want her to bring her uh bring them other souls for them to take and torture and uh this is all coming down to to dealing with her and how her addiction has affected people in her life and the harm that she's done through her addiction. And that's a, uh, it's not movie, it's not a movie that has, you know, a lot of depth, but at least it gives that character a lot of depth so that when you arrive at the biggest moment of this movie, it does have some resonance to it. Of course, the star of the film is the, is the practical effects they use to create the gore and the violence and I was really impressed with that. I was really impressed with how they created these new cenobites. They're even more terrifying than they ever were before. Uh the <laughs> I know there's a lot of different uh you know makeup jobs that have been created that used to create the cenobites in the past, but here it is t- on another level. This is directed by David Bruckner who directed The Nighthouse with Rebecca Hall, which was a tremendous psychological horror and he brings that aspect to this alongside the uh, alongside the tremendous practical effects and an amazing makeup, uh, it, it's a it's a genuinely kind of a breathtaking horror movie. Like, <gasps> kind of, <laughs> really? don't Yeah, it's got kind of really one of those couple of those scenes where you're just you're, you're kind of stuck. Your stomach turns. You can't breathe for a second, and then it lets up on you. It doesn't. It's not quite as good as the other horror movies we've seen this year it definitely has a lot that holds it back. Some of the other, I thought the casting could have been a little bit stronger overall, but uh, the, the woman they got to play uh, the hell priest, which is the actual real name of pinhead. Uh, it's never been pinhead. It's everybody. That's what the fans called it. Pinhead. It, it The actual name of the character is hell priest. And she's awesome. That, that young woman, she is awesome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, we were, we've were we never really liked any Hail, Hellraiser movies we've watched, so it's cool to see that th- somebody's done it okay.
1: Yeah, and how, how about Hulu uh, going two for two on uh, 80s movies with uh, making the best Predator and now the best Hellraiser movie?
0: <laughs> that is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> even though we don't like it, Hellraiser is popular enough that it's gotten a million sequels, so... Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. All right, let's move on to the greatest beer run ever.
1: And how this has, hasn't been an episode of The Dollop, I don't know, but <laughs> it probably should be. Uh, of course, they tell the story a lot better than this movie does. Uh, this is from uh, the uh, director of Green Book, uh, and this is uh, starring Zac Efron as a guy from uh New York, even though he seems to have a more of a Boston accent, if you ask me, nevertheless, it doesn't matter. Um, and the idea here is that he uh, he's got all of his buddies over in Vietnam and he's watching the news and the news isn't uh, treating this. He doesn't feel that they're treating the soldiers right, that they're framing the war as being a bad war. He sees all these protesters outside and they're not honoring his friends who are you know, putting their lives on the line in Vietnam. So he wants to show his friends that they're appreciated. So he gets this dumb idea in his head that he's going to pack a bag full of Paps Blue Ribbon, hop a ship because he actually does work on a ship. Uh, he's a merchant marine that happens to deliver stuff to Vietnam. So he's going to deliver himself to Vietnam via a merchant ship and then go into the country and find his buddies and, give him a beer and tell him that the guys in the neighborhood are thinking about him. Uh, and he, this guy really did this and that's fucking insane. And the movie doesn't do enough to to kind of underline how dumb that is. How, what a dumb idea that is. It it wants to celebrate this guy as a blue-collar hero and, and show him kind of learning that, hey, oh man, you know what? Vietnam, maybe it's not that great. <laughs> Which is kind of what you would expect from the guy who directed Green Book, who kind of who kind of thought that maybe racism was, you know, not that great. (laughs) Racism, you know, it's kind of bad. Vietnam it's kind of bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is this one of the Farley brothers that directed this? Yeah,
1: yeah, Peter. Peter is it? Peter Farrelly? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah he is really a terrible director on his own he has no he has no edge I want his I want his grosser brother back that guy at least at least his at least his contributions apparently were the gross part
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean what's weird is I mean both this and Amsterdam you know in in a different year would have starred like Zach Galifianakis and Kristen Wiig you know, and we've talked about movies like that in the past, where like you know, it would be great if they use like a real actors, Matthew McConaughey or a Zac Efron or a Christian Bale. And here we are, and this one clearly appears to have shifted the bed a little bit. Uh, it's a great title, I, you know. I it's, it mm-hmm. maybe it would have been great with Nicolas Cage thirty years ago or something like that. As always, uh, mm-hmm. or even it sounds like the Russell Crowe character is barely in the movie for, based on your review.
1: Yeah, Russell Crowe plays a character who's a reporter in Vietnam, and he's the the guy who kind of gives him a little bit more perspective about what's happening in Vietnam. And he has a couple of experiences that uh, where he nearly loses his life that kind of like again contributes to the idea that maybe Vietnam wasn't good. Now you make a movie about Vietnam, about a guy going to Vietnam, and it's and then the, the idea isn't that holy shit, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> it misses the absurdity of this. Like the this is an absurd story. It needs to be treated with the kind of absurdity. Of the idea of a blue collar guy going into Vietnam to drop off Pap's blue ribbon to his buddies—that's absurd—and this movie has no absurdity. They just want to treat this guy like a blue collar legend. It's like he's like a real a man of genius, you know, from the beer commercials. Like that's the level of insight that we're getting here.
0: I mean, if you—I think you're right. If you would—if it were a Fairly Brother comedy. You know, similar to their... If you did it from that angle, it would probably work way better than this Green Book angle. Uh, I don't know. It's That's a disappointment.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally um, forgettable movie. And uh, thankfully, not going to get the Green Book treatment at the award shows.
0: Yeah. Hocus Pocus 2, the movie everybody's talking about.
1: Oh, uh, no Yes. Is this, is this your favorite movie of the week?
0: <laughs> no, it is the first one I've seen so far, though.
1: <laughs> uh, Hocus Pocus 2 returns the Sanderson sisters, the Sanderson witches, uh, Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, and Sarah Jessica Parker back to life via their black flame candle and the uh, machinations of a uh, magic shop owner and three young teenagers with uh, ideas of being witches themselves. And uh, yeah, that's I mean, it's fine. It does what it does. Uh, Doug Jones pretty much steals the movie <laughs> as the character whose head is is being sought. He's a zombie character. He's very funny and very charming. And I, I really enjoyed Doug Jones and Sam Richardson is very good in this movie as well. The three young women who play the you know the main the new main characters are are good. They do their jobs well, and you can sense that uh, you know Kathy and Jimmy, Bette Midler, and Sarah Jessica Parker are having a great time uh, riffing on the uh, product placement of Walgreens. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a, one thing that definitely happens for far too long in this movie. Uh, very Adam Sandler esque, I would say. Uh, <laughs> but the fact that you it's Walgreens, find. Walgreens The
0: fact that it's Walgreens Is almost humorous though Because it's like yeah. why, why would you Product place Walgreens
1: uh, I mean what is a pharmacy but a modern Day apothecary I get right.
0: it <laughs> But you're right I mean at At worst this would be a Bad movie at best it's harmless
1: <laughs> Yeah so it's Harmless fluff that'll satisfy A, a shockingly Large Cult audience that I still don't understand <laughs> for this movie. <laughs> I think this is better than the original because I thought the original wasn't a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've since that have had fans tell me like I'm 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 being too mean or whatever. No, uh-huh. I
0: mean I tried I and tried I- to get my family to watch The monsters and this is all I could get them to watch. <laughs> I had to watch that alone.
1: <sighs> that sounds like quite the experience
0: that's <laughs> fine, same type of deal, yeah at worst it's a bad movie at best it's harmless fun <laughs> mm. uh anyway I watched a movie called to Leslie with andrea riceborough who's also in amsterdam he's was this uh
1: where was this where was this on
0: this I had to rent from uh streaming I uh, Mark Marins and I saw it all over Instagram so I was like oh, I'll check this one out
1: uh, Oh I, oh man I've been dying to see this yes this is available I didn't even know this was available
0: yeah it came out this weekend uh, around, I I mean we can uh, shove it to next week since we only have Hollywood en- ha- Halloween ends I liked it a lot <laughs> I'd love to know your opinion on it so uh, I did watch it let's if you want to show it let's do that because I, I want to make sure I'm not you know
1: I don't
0: know. Might be a tad out of place amidst
1: all of the
0: Halloween movies. I don't know, man. It's, uh, I I don't know. I thought it was really, really watchable. And I'm a big Mark Marin fan, obviously. And Mm -hmm. at first, it took a while for me to get used to him with a Southern accent, but he does a good job. It's just me, you know, projecting on how much I know him from the podcast and his Mm -hmm. stand up. Uh, but once it gets going, uh, you know i can i really give given him but the whole movie is about a woman named leslie who wins the lottery and then drinks it all away and just ruin it. i mean she's basically homeless has to move back to her hometown where she was from and just go through the embarrassment of you know losing her family and losing all of her money and it's just watching her deal with that and try to get sober and i uh, it's you know, surprise! It's just one of those really watchable movies you would never guess is watchable. Uh, the mm. performances are great. It's just a really good, really good movie. Uh, great. I mean, I, obviously Andrea Riseborough steals the movie because she's the lead, but all the supporting characters are great. I, I really liked it a lot. I'm definitely curious your opinion when you get a chance to see it.
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely want to see it. I meant to see. It. I didn't even know it was available. <laughs>
0: Yeah, movies are so weird nowadays.
1: <laughs> the, yeah, the release schedule is bizarre.
0: Thank you, COVID. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you've heard of this one, luckiest girl alive with Mila Kunis. It's on Netflix. I think it just another one
1: I meant to watch and then totally forgot about.
0: <laughs> uh, this is kind of a a rape movie that leads to a school shooting movie, uh, but you know with all of it that it's got contained in it i think it was pretty well done uh you know mila kunis does a great job you know dealing with both the school shooting that she was involved in along with the rape and it takes its time you know letting you know what exactly happened and uh you know we don't I mean it is kind of a mansplaining version of this movie I guess I think it was directed by a man but Mm -hmm. it's still a a very good movie I couldn't stop watching Uh, I put it on late last night and uh, it kept me awake the entire time which that doesn't happen very much anymore Uh, so I'm curious you know again was I tired am I giving this movie too much credit I thought it was really good but uh, again I don't think either I don't think this one specifically is an award-winning movie by any means. I think Two Leslie could be in certain, not even out Oscars, but certain smaller independent, fil- you know, type awards. But mm-hmm. I thought they were both really good. And obviously, I saw the monsters again—harmless, fun, at <laughs> worst, bad. Uh, so
1: yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> I wish I wish Netflix would do a better job of telling people when their movies came out. Like uh, the, that that one, I I totally didn't know about really they I just they do set they drop things so quickly on and apple apple's even worse apples like worse apple, apple tv is the absolute worst absolutely the way they drop things like they've got two amazing documentaries they've told nobody about about sydney about sydney poitier and louis armstrong and they've told nobody that those are there uh, and they did that with coda last year which somehow that movie survived that ridiculous way that apple puts out movies and the I mean, are- Cha Cha Real Smooth is one of the best movies of the year, and nobody's seen it because Apple did nothing to promote it.
0: And the movies we do see from Netflix are the ones we don't want to see, <laughs> uh, which we'll get to that in a second. But I would say, like, HBO and Peacock are probably the best. <laughs>
1: Peacock does you know. a great job. The Peacock, yeah, good good shout, because, yeah, Peacock does a great job of telling you when their movies are out, and you don't wind up being surprised when they're already out there.
0: Now, also, though, Peacock doesn't release, like, 17 movies a week like everybody right. else does, so there's that as well. But uh, anyway, one movie we all knew was coming was Blonde uh, on Netflix, and I'll try to be the devil's advocate. You be the genuine... <laughs> Uh, (laughs) review because I agree with what you're going to say but I'll do my best to try to defend the sociopath anyway go ahead
1: I I hate this movie Uh, this is the latest uh, attempt to cash in on the life of Marilyn Monroe by Netflix they already did it with a terrible documentary they released and now here they are uh, using Anna DeArmas to uh, capitalize on uh, Marilyn Monroe and it's a real shame because Anna DeArmas could play Marilyn Monroe and I think she probably could do it Uh, very well but she's trapped inside of a story here that is just about exploiting uh, Marilyn Monroe as a sex object as the subject of our imagination uh, as the most you know talked about and thought about and written about and uh, considered life on the planet and she did indeed live in a pretty incredible life during her time but man I don't know what anybody making this movie thought they were accomplishing by showing us the things that they show us in this movie. I don't know why, for instance, we were inside Marilyn's vagina. What exactly, Andrew Dominic, uh, was it that you thought, well, you know, she has the most examined life in the world. Why don't we, while she's having a miscarriage, go inside of her vagina? just kind of underline the point that, because, uh, you know, she's the most examined woman in the She's only the most well-known human being on the planet. <laughs> Where have we not gone? Inside her vagina. Let's go there. What a piece of crap. This movie begins by, by placing her in this uh, three-way relationship that she's in with uh, uh, two guys who are sons of Hollywood legends, uh, Charlie Chaplin and uh, is it Edward G. Robinson. I I'm not sure. The other one. Yeah, they 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 fall into this thruple situation, and they it, it's almost as if they want to like use this modern term thruple and, and apply it to Marilyn Monroe, almost like like it's some kind of uh, oh, so you see how the culture hasn't changed, like or how we can relate this to the modern culture, and like fuck you, do you even know that this happened? I mean, is this is this speculation? Is this real? Uh, who cares? It's all about showing them having three way sex. Uh, it's all about showing her naked. It's, you know, just that uh, and the nudity, the NC-17, uh, They I don't know what the, the intent of that was other than a marketing campaign. Anna DeArmas, she's going to be very naked and playing Marilyn Monroe. Here you go, guys. Jerk off all you want. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's what Andrew Dominic was doing behind the camera the entire time, was jerking off, because he certainly wasn't directing a very good movie. Um, the uh, they portray the the relationship between her and uh, President Kennedy uh, by having her take a load on her face for some reason from the president while he's negotiating a deal. We have no idea any of that could have possibly been real or not. We don't know, but it's. But thanks for thanks for the indign the constantly visiting indignities upon her is just what this movie is all about. Just uh, t- torturing her for no good reason by just heaping indignity upon indignity, whether it's the men in her life, constantly betraying her with violence, whether it's uh, her constantly being exploited for her sexuality, really. It's just, it's just this constant barrage of hateful imagery aimed at this woman. And I don't know why I don't know what Andrew Dominic was hoping to accomplish with this. I would love to understand it, but it, 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 to me, this movie rate it, it it's it ranks next to a movie like hostile for me the way that he seems to not merely present the torture of Marilyn Monroe but almost like you know what she kind of deserved it like she kind of I'm kind of enjoying doing this to her and it's that twisted sensibility that really disgusts me on top of the things that Andrew Dominic has then gone on to say about why he made this movie he is a disgusting individual a complete moron by the way who you know, Criticizes gentlemen where gentlemen prefer blondes without ever having fucking seen it. Hey, fuck you. Uh, she's not playing a fucking whore in the movie, you asshole. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting angry uh, because Andrew Dominic can kiss my ass.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not really able to totally do the <laughs> devil's advocate thing. Here's the, you know, Netflix was very, if you look at the the way they describe the movie is a fictitious account or whatever. Andrew Mm -hmm. Dominic in his interviews is saying it's just as true as everything else you've ever seen. You know he's very, uh, you know there there is no joy in this movie. So I I don't I don't even like. I guess I'll disagree with you in terms of I don't think he was enjoying. Other than the artistic, whatever, I think he Mm -hmm. was caught up in that, which to me makes him kind of a sociopath. Uh, But I don't think like. You know, this is a weird statement to say as a forty-two-year-old, but like, I don't know, like, who watches this to jerk off to it because it's not, there's nothing fun. The nudity is not sexy. It's not fun. It's horror. It's depressing. And and you know, in his interviews, he's like, "Well, she killed herself, so that's I just want to show why she killed herself." And it was just like he said that a bunch in the interviews, and, and it to me that's like the why are you making this movie yeah. why not use a fictitious character and even then I don't it's super long uh, I mean Anna Diarmas is good she disappears into the role I don't feel like I'm watching Anna Diarmas, but it's still it's not a fun movie to watch there's yeah. nothing there's nothing you've gained from it I, I don't know it, it just, there's
1: no insight uh, you don't really you don't learn anything about her other than her life uh, is miserable <laughs> she was constantly she was a constant subject of misery that was there is only misery in this woman's life and,
0: <laughs> and it's like he's trying to go back and f- explain why because of her relationship with her father or whatever and it was just like but it's complete. I mean I guess it's based on a book that was completely made up but uh-huh. uh, from what I understand the books not even really Able, you're not really even able to make that book into a movie, so why did he try to? Uh, And then it makes you take his other, look at his other movies and wonder, (laughs) you know, how good are they really? You know, how how, how much liberties that he takes with those stories, and especially the ones that are supposed quote unquote true. (laughs) I was hoping this was going to be good prior to it coming out, just based on, I, I never really hated Andrew Dominic up until uh, I kind of liked the, I've never
1: really had much of an opinion of him. I mean, I thought I killing me softly is a bad movie, but it's bad in a very uninteresting way. And, uh, you know, the, the coward, Robert Ford, uh, the Jesse James movie with Brad Pitt is good because Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck are really good. And the right. cinematography is okay, but it, it's over long. It drags right. a lot.
0: That is true. And I, it didn't bother me as much at the time, but looking back Mm -hmm. at it, it definitely, I do. It it seems to, this makes me kind of question that one a little more. Obviously he's got skills. I mean that this looks good. It's, but the whole, everything about it is just depressing and it's just makes you feel dirty. And I don't know. I mean, even the NC 17 wasn't because of the nudity. It's because of like probably being inside of her, not to (laughs) mention the John F Kennedy scene. Uh, yeah, it's it, you could have trimmed a couple of things and it's easily an R and that doesn't make it any better. It, it still sucks. And it just more so than almost any other movie I've ever seen, this makes you want to take a shower afterwards because it just makes you feel gross. And this isn't it's not hostile. It's not a horror movie that it's but it's more disgusting than almost all of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then you know the fact
0: that she's a real person makes it even mm-hmm. worse. So Yeah. I mean, some people have given it praise, but you know, obviously he's got skills in terms of look, but the the whole the I don't know the the depth or the the bulk of the movie is just torture. I mean, it's hard to watch and it's not there's just no joy. I mean, the, you've used that before in movies, but more so than any other movie I've ever seen, there's not an ounce of joy in this thing. and no. Marilyn Monroe, who has given a lot of people joy in terms of the movies and art she's produced. So, well,
1: I mean, here's the thing, and if it, 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 then the, there's a well, if it was Truffaut or Godard said, if you want to if you want to critique a movie, make another movie uh, my week with Marilyn, with Eddie Redmayne and Michelle Williams makes the same points without any of the without any of the nonsense. It, it shows why sh- it demonstrates her sadness, her humanity, her career. It gets to the heart of all of those things without ever having to exploit her or, or treat her like she wasn't a human being. And Michelle Williams makes Marilyn a full breathed human. Uh, and why? I mean, Anna Diarma seems to be capable of that. She seems to want to do that. But when you, I'm sure somewhere in the editing, uh, they removed that. They removed the full aspect of who the of who Marilyn was in favor of just visiting horrors upon her constantly. Uh, and you can see where Anna de is kind of trying to draw and draw on the lines and the edges here a little bit. And she's just constantly undermined by scene after scene of just humiliation, uh, violence, and just pure exploitation. Uh, it's really it's really awful. And I, and I hate it. I hate it more. Every, the further I get away from it, the more I hate it.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, it's exactly you did a great job there. I mean, it's this is nothing but sadness. Everybody, yes, she had a tragic ending to her life, but everybody in this world is not, nowhere 100% bad or 100% good or their life isn't 100% sad or 100% happy. There's ups and downs, to, and this is just down the entire time. And it, he ha, he's mentioned in interviews, Andrew Dominic, that he has no interest in showing anything other than the sadness because she killed herself. or and I, Did she even kill herself or was it a drug overdose? So, I don't even, I mean, it's... We, there's so much we don't know and it doesn't matter that we don't know it it's i i don't know it, it just really is gross and not fun
1: and and just a complete i mean just a complete um, disregarding of of her true talent because i mean Marilyn Monroe was incredible. Watch the movies, Andrew. She's actually fucking brilliant. Gen- gentlemen Prefer Blondes is a great performance. Uh, and I would, I've would i always argued that Seven Year Itch is one of my favorite movies of all time. He gives that no regard here other than the dress scene because, you know, everybody's looking up her dress. Ah, see, she's being exploited, which, of course, <laughs> was not the point of that scene at all in the movie but had fine whatever uh portray it you know you're per- not portraying it correctly in any way but fine sure uh she she was amazing in her performances she was great uh, uh just in so many movies and in behind the scenes yes she had trouble with men there were men male directors were not good people in the 50s a lot right. in a lot of ways and they did not uh, you know, they did not take her seriously. They did not treat her well. And and she tried so hard. You know, you can see from, from her time uh, with the people who actually cared about her when they talk about her, how she tried so hard with Lee Strasberg to become an actor, to be a real actor and to embody her characters. And then she gets on the set and people are just like, boobs, boobs, your boobs. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean... She wants to deliver a performance, and they're just all staring at her. I mean, that's very that's sad, but that's a more nuanced interpretation than anything in this fucking movie.
0: But the the more interesting, thing, I mean, luckiest girl alive does this better is when you go through these the the sadness and the negativity it, you live with it, and sometimes you are there is a positive in your life while you're going through the negative. You know, there's an up and a down even with all the sadness, provided she was that sad. And they don't even attempt to show any of that. I mean, even if you look at the real life stuff with uh, Harvey Weinstein that went around. I mean, people liked him. People were, you know, Meryl Streep's they could even call him God at award shows. People are, it's never as simple as just constantly sadness and negativity and there's a way to do that with a made up character and you know to to go to show the you know to examine living with the sadness and everything else that goes with it and being guilty for being happy you know. but this doesn't even try to do anything other than just depress you and i i i just don't get it
1: uh, no i mean you go go back and watch my week with marilyn and you'll get a far better idea of the of somebody who actually plays Marilyn with a little bit of care.
0: Absolutely. And again, I'm not here to shit on Anna Diarmis. I don't know what she knew no. going into this. This is Andrew She's Dominic not in charge of the way. edit. No. We
1: can't, we can't uh, control what the final product was, and I don't think this is the product she signed up for. Right.
0: But we will now talk about our classic, which is one of Marilyn Monroe's first Movies, if not the first, I
1: believe, her, I believe this is her first role. Yes, the the first role where she has some lines and you can see her, and she has a named character. All about Eve. All about Eve is not about Marilyn Monroe's character. She is in the movie uh, and she does really well. She gets a couple of really great scenes, and uh, it's it's uh, it's the character is treated with you know a little bit of dignity, and I appreciate that. Uh, All about Eve is actually about a character played by. Eve Harrington and a, char- a character named Eve Harrington and a character named uh, Margot uh, played by Margot Chandler played by Betty Davis. Uh, Eve Harrington is a young woman who has uh, the ambition to become an actress, and uh, her ambition is explored when she finds her way into the circle of her favorite actress, uh, Margot Chapman. Uh, Ch- Margot. I forgot her name now, Betty Davis's character. uh, She invites her in. She insinuates, uh, Eva insinuates herself into the life of this uh, group of friends and eventually uses that as a catapult to get herself onto the stage. Um, And what there's so many amazing things about this. Firstly, Joseph L. Mankiewicz for all of his limitations as a visual director, his wit, the wit of this script, the wit of these characters is so sharp and so well uh, pronounced. Uh, Betty Davis is uh, pronouncing the words of Joseph L. Mankiewicz is kind of like <laughs> it reminds me of like uh, uh, John Stockton passing to Michael Jordan. Like it's <laughs> like it's just the perfect marriage of, of that, you know, uh, of that aspect, the best at what they do going between each other, Mankiewicz and Betty Davis. Uh, Betty Davis is incredible. Uh, she's just the the greatest actress uh, of all time, perhaps. Uh, and this is her greatest performance. Uh, she's just so on top of this character and so on top of what this character is intended. And you can, what I found even beyond just the, the movie itself and its wit and its uh, humor and its uh, lessons about uh, the entertainment business and Hollywood and, uh, you know, stars aging out of being stars and whatnot. What I found were the, was this idea of duality and what these characters mean today in very different ways. And what I found is that Eve Harrington sort of represents this idea uh, that you chase everything you want with all of your ambition and how that can be sort of lead to the anxiety of, of having that all taken away. Whereas if you're somebody like Betty Davis or Margot who has, just her, her talent is innate. It's already defined. It's confidence versus anxiety. It's like, it's like the the truth versus the lie. Eve Harrington is the lie. Margot is the truth, and uh, those two ideas where the truth is going to win out in the end because she has actual talent, whereas Eve will never know in her entire life whether or not she's really talented because she's used this opportunity here and there to get to where she is. She's used uh, DeWitt, the character DeWitt, uh, who is uh, uh, amazingly played uh, in this movie by uh, George Sanders. He is a, uh, he's a columnist, and he uses his power to raise her up. And uh, whether or not she's ever going to be able to trust anybody, she's going to go through her life with this anxiety of potentially being exposed, whereas Margot has gone throughout her entire life being Margot. She was born Margot. She is Margot. She will always be Margot. She will always be the most talented person in the room. And Betty Davis was like that too. Betty Davis walked onto a set as Betty Davis, knowing who Betty Davis was, knowing that she was the best there was, and could say to anybody, like, you may not like me, I don't care. I can do what I do on somebody else's movie. You need me. I don't need you. And at the time that labeled her as a bitch, that labeled her as a problem among the studios, among the directors. Uh, that's part of why her her career declines after this. And she doesn't get the roles that she probably deserved to get because she knew how talented she was and she could tell you how talented she was. And that's kind of what uh, she kind of expresses all of that through Margo. And that's what makes me love this movie so much is why it's one of my all time favorite films. I've watched it hundreds of times. I watched it twice to get ready for this show (laughs) uh, because it's, it's incredible that way. The, the, I was, you know, I'm just blown away by the way this film is still so resonant, and how fucking sad it is that, you know, being that this movie is 72 years old now, nobody's nobody watches, nobody knows it anymore.
0: The crazy part is, it holds up though. It's not. It's an easy watch. It's not one of those where you, it's homeworking it to get through it. It's a very easy watch, and you know, even the truth versus a lie is very. It's. There's more depth than that. I mean, you're saying it that way to to describe it, but you know, the truth gets knocked down a peg, and that the lie takes. And it's you know, they really do a great job of you know making you interested in that. And uh, it, it is weird that Betty Davis' career would go down after this movie, when this movie is literally about that very thing that affected her career later on in a lot of ways it's brave that she would do a movie like this, you know, mm-hmm. at the age she was and, you know, being aware uh of Hollywood at that time, I it it's just a really really good I, I was just shocked at how much I did like it. Uh I mean I don't really know what else to say. You've kind of said it all. It is really the perfect movie. Uh and th- there's no reason not to go back and watch this one. Cause it really does at even like I could see certain kids going back and watching this and being able to get through it and not be bored. I mean, some probably <laughs> would be anyway just cause that's who they are, but uh, it, it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, I don't see this movie ever like truly going away. There's always going to be yeah. that theater kid that discovers it or whatever. And it's, I don't know I just I'm glad I've seen it it's another one to you know another notch in the uh of movies that I hadn't seen before and it Ooh. really is very very good
1: you gotta now you gotta see of Human Bondage cause that's another of Betty Davis's best performances and just that movie is fucking heartbreaking so I, I can't can't recommend it enough well,
0: Uh it's <laughs> just amazing though that you know how there's no they just, they, there's no studio that's ruining movies back then. Like they are today. Like there's no, the Reese Witherspoon run that she had, or, you know, I'm, I i do not know why I picked her. There's a million other actresses who had worse runs, but you know, where they just do all these romantic comedies with no substance at all. Every single one of these movies has substance of some sort, even the ones that are hard to watch cause they don't hold up. There's still a substance there. Uh, it's just i don't know that's what i love most about going back this far it it is something that seems like homework going in but once you get going it's it just amazes me how much more depth there is to these movies than a lot of movies that exist today uh that's why it's so exciting when we do find one uh that does have that kind of depth and
1: you know what else i uh, observed while watching this (laughs) that is that uh Betty Davis is is 46 when she makes this, the same age as I am right now. And I was struck by the fact that why are adults so much more adult back then? <laughs>
0: like, I thought the same thing because she's playing 42, which is the age <laughs> I am right now. Uh, and it's like, you're just like, she I don't, seems I've, so much more grown up than I am right now.
1: I've, I've I've never, I think I've been to one like thing that I could do genuinely call a cocktail party in my entire life
0: uh, yeah probably. Got they, they
1: seem to have cocktail parties constantly and then uh, <laughs> they're having tea and it's like when was this part of life um,
0: <laughs> well and they I, I don't know it's never been part of mine
1: <laughs> and all the men in the movie are in their 40s they they look like what what they should be in their 60s <laughs> Because <laughs> they they've been smoking and drinking since they were 15 years old. Right. I imagine that that speeds along the aging process. <laughs> that's that's got to be the explanation.
0: Yeah, that is true. I mean, that is a great, really good observation. Uh, yeah, but I definitely, if you have a chance to go check out this movie, it's worth doing, especially if you want to do a run of classic movies. Uh, this is definitely one to make sure you throw on your list to see
1: mm-hmm. and you know for for anybody who wants to become if you're a if you're a woman who wants to become an actress just fall down the betty davis rabbit hole for a little while and you're definitely going to come away with something uh you you would not expect
0: yeah i mean you can go down the meryl streep one or whoever else but you definitely gotta at least research betty davis and see something i mean the thing is,
1: you know, that the, the, and I, I feel weird pointing it out, but like she was not conventionally attractive and never once in her career was she that typical ingenue uh, it, it, that uh, Hollywood was always searching for and always was searching around her for. Like, here's the most amazing actress in the world. But who's that blonde behind her? Betty, could you step over here for me? <laughs> like, I've got to get to the really conventionally attractive one. Uh, and that happened to her so many times in her career, and she still found you know the best material to work with, and and took bad material and made it into good material because you cannot deny real talent, and that's what she was. She was real talent.
0: Yeah, that's I know you are one hundred percent right, and I mean everybody who's talented, even today. I mean even Meryl Streep's not conventionally, it, it, you know, and there is plenty of guys too. I am just. I don't know.
1: We focus on it more with women. You know, obviously, sure. men can get away with it uh, you know, because men were running the industry then. They're mostly still running the industry in a lot of ways, and uh, thankfully, you know the the gears of time are shifting a little bit on that. But uh, yeah, that used to be the the thing that happened all the time. I, I I fell in love with Betty Davis. I did, regardless of whatever conventional attractiveness is. Uh, when I saw of human bondage, I was I was hooked.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Try to find a week where you can throw it in. (laughs) (laughs) All right. In 1992, uh, we got a couple weeks worth of movies. This is at least in terms of, as far as I can tell, of all the, this is the most movie, snob movie out there. Uh, But Glengarry Glen Ross, Hero, The Mighty Ducks, Mr. Baseball of Mice and Men, Running Mates, 1492 conquest of Paradise the river runs through it and under siege uh, I love Glengarry Glenn Ross always have uh, especially being a business person it's
1: just a f- you can always you can always tell the person who doesn't understand Glengarry Glenn Ross by <laughs> by how often they quote Kevin Spacey <laughs> <laughs> It's like the people who quote Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Like, you're missing the point. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, that's,
1: that's the People who unironically watch Boiler Room.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I do like that whenever I hire a sales guy, I'm like, here, I'll, I'll give him this and use cars with Kurt Russell. I'm like, don't do that. And do, do what Al Pacino does. Watch Alec Baldwin. I know it pisses off the playwright <laughs> because it wasn't in the play. Uh, anyway, next week, it's all things Halloween. Halloween Ends comes out. I'm sure we'll talk about other stuff, but we're going to go through all the Halloween movies as best we can. Uh,
1: Even Halloween 3.
0: Yeah, I've never actually seen the season of the witch. Is that any good?
1: It's 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 fun. It's, I don't call it a good movie, but it's fun.
0: I'll definitely have to watch that one. I've seen a lot of them.
1: You've never seen Halloween Halloween 3? No. Put that at the top of the list. Oh, yeah,
0: that'll thing. be the one I make sure I see that in Halloween ends.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've, we've both seen Halloween enough. I'm thinking we probably don't have to watch it again.
0: I mean, I'll be honest. I think the only ones I really... I don't know if I've seen like H2O and Resurrection and all that run... Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: i've seen four five and six obviously the rob zombie ones uh but yeah we'll it'll be a week of halloween and with kind of a focus on season of the witch
1: and uh i do have a uh an article up about uh what why halloween means so much to us and it's kind of a breaking down of the ideas of why You know, there's a there's a different reason why each of the horror film villains still sort of resonate today for various different reasons, and uh, the the dynamic between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers is different because I I think part of it is that Freddy doesn't have a protagonist who sticks with him the entire time. Jason obviously kills everybody in front of him; those those characters don't last. But when you have Laurie Strode and you have Michael Myers and then you, you know, you have their family dynamic. You're what you have is this, uh, this, again, it could go back to the concept of duality, the the way that they sort of mirror each other's lives. And I, I, I made a point in the article about how, you know, for him to die or for her, for him to die, she's probably going to have to die. Like that's the only way it works, (laughs) you know? And, and Jeff, uh, our cousin, Jeff pointed out that uh, that's probably how the, how this is going to work out.
0: (laughs) Right. And it's, you know, the cynic in me wants to be like, well, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis became a big star, so maybe that's why Laurie Strode seems more uh, relevant at the same time, you know. And then the fact that they're not making Freddy and Jason movies right now, but they are making Michael Myers movies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then you throw in the fact that Halloween was kind of the first of these type of blockbuster horror films. I don't know. It's, I think you're right because even if you look at love it or hate it, you know, probably the most watch of all the remakes between Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th and Halloween was Halloween, Uh, even though it wasn't Jamie Lee Curtis, still that character. I don't know. Their dynamic does, does. I don't know. There seems to be more depth with Halloween than there is the other two. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, I think and it's about, you know, it's about how what Michael Myers represents in the life of Laurie Strode is similar to what your problems represent in your actual life. Uh, it's this constant unending attack, if you will, that occasionally lets up for you to have, you know, a family and life and a little bit of joy and then back come your problems, re- raging in with a knife coming after you. Uh, it's, I think there, there's something there in that uh, the, the idea that Michael Myers doesn't die. He's like, he's like problems that accumulate and don't go away. Is it bills or whether it's anxiety, whether it's health problems, all those things that accumulate, Michael Myers can stand in as a representative of, because he doesn't die. He never goes away. Uh, your problems don't go away unless you deal with them. And, uh, you know, Laurie Strode continuously has to deal with her problem. That is Michael Myers. And Just think- as you have to deal with your problem of, whatever is your greatest challenge
0: absolutely and you know putting three aside you know four five and six are easily the weakest Mm. because i mean that's when he goes full on jason and Voorhees more or less yeah because laurie strode doesn't really exist in those movies so yeah that's that's absolutely also
1: interesting to see just how many times like the you know the the they retcon this and i believe in one of the movies from the early 2000s like laurie strode seems to die, but they've totally retconned that out of existence to make these modern movies, which I'm not a fan of either of the last two movies. I don't think they're very good, but I, I still think that the overall idea of Michael and Laurie is good, just I don't think the movies are particularly well made.
0: Yeah, I, I, no, I get what you're saying. It, I, I, I just find, We'll dig into more of it next week, because uh, why not? Uh, let's see how we doing on time Got a little bit of time. Let's, let's try a little bit of flick chart real quick before we go. If you got time for that,
1: it's been a while.
0: Yeah. Let's see. Where are we at here? Uh, there's our f- Twitter page or zoom let's Move <laughs> our box. Where the hell is it?
1: <laughs> it's right there in the middle. Right in the middle. There you
0: I go. I, gotta move oh. my little th- I can't get to it because it's blocked by the, the shirt. <laughs> Alright, let's move that up. Log in and...
1: Our password is... No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ever After or Hudson Hawk?
1: Ever After. I know it's a better movie. That's Hudson Hawk has an ironic appeal.
0: <laughs> if you want to say that, I hate Hudson Hawk. <laughs> I remember... Being such a Bruce Willis fan, I'm finally going to watch that. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Uh, Defiance or Die Hard 2? Hmm.
1: Well, I mean, Defiance is kind of like forgettable and boring in a very uninteresting way. Die Hard 2 is bad in a far more interesting way. So I guess I'll go with that one.
0: As will I. Fiddler on the Roof, Seabiscuit.
1: Fiddler on the Roof.
0: The Great Escape, All the President's Men.
1: All the President's Men. Agreed.
0: A Mighty Wind, Hustlers. Hustlers. Yeah. Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, Along Came a Spider.
1: Along Came a Spider. I find Lemony Snicket to be insufferable.
0: Yeah. Wanted House of Flying Daggers.
1: House of Flying Daggers. Absolutely.
0: Midsummer Fight Club. Midsummer. First time it's been on here. <laughs> uh, documentaries don't count, right? Are we doing documentaries or no?
1: I mean, I'd vote for Under the Giant over Lady Killers.
0: So would I. <laughs> I don't hate Lady Killers like most people do, but...
1: It's impossible to hate a Coen Brothers movie. They can be not as good as other Coen Brothers movies. That's right. the standard.
0: Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Wonderland,
1: Wonderland. Just because I've been, I'm, I'm so tired of all it. I may have even liked Jurassic Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. I just don't remember which one it is, and that's a bad sign.
0: Yeah, if I had to guess, it's the second of the next, of the last three. But I'm not positive of that. I definitely wouldn't bet money on it. <laughs> Fantasia 2000, Rescue Dawn
1: rescue dawn i don't remember fantasia 2000 at all but i kind of remember uh rescue dawn just because it's christian bale's in it
0: i don't remember either one return from witch mountain eraser
1: you know why we got return from witch mountain right no i don't betty davis know? is in it
0: <laughs> so that so that wins right
1: uh, yeah why not <laughs> In honor of Betty Davis,
0: uh, Ray Moana, Moana, agreed. Up, Raging Bull. It's not really
1: fair. That's not. I mean, man, I love Up so much. Um, mm, I mean, in terms of rewatchability, Up, oh, I would rather watch Up, but Raging Bull is Raging Bull, right? <laughs> Gotta be Raging Bull, I guess.
0: Yeah, but that's one that's close because I mean, Up One is great, and it's wa- the watchability is so high. Mm-hmm. Raging Bull, great with the watchability being kind of middle mid tier,
1: <laughs>
0: but it is so good.
1: It's so good. It's undeniable.
0: Legend Copland.
1: Copland, I guess.
0: That's- <laughs> Copland with the question mark. That's fair. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Uh, UHF, you're next. UHF. Fine. I'm neither here nor there on Weird Al. Uh, Meet the Robinsons or Dial M for Murder?
1: Dial M for Murder. But I, I, Meet the Robinsons is actually pretty good.
0: How to Survive a Plague? Crumb. Not
1: seen that one.
0: Grandma's Boy, Crumb.
1: Crumb. Fuck Grandma's Boy. Put it's a cult classic.
0: And I've never <laughs> nope. actually
1: seen it. Uh, Stigma. Only if you're really high. Uh, Stigmata, uh, point Break. Point Break.
0: Point, point Break. Greed. Rocky. Big Trouble Little China. Rocky. This is me versus my brother.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, Tenet. Ocean's Eleven.
1: Tenet. Where's that quarter at? <laughs> I think that's pretty
0: good. I think it's fine. I just really like Oceans Eleven. But you win. As always. Night and day malice. Night and day. Yeah, that movie's kind of fun. Smooth talk iRobot.
1: I'm not familiar with Smooth Talk. Looks like Laura Dern, but I don't I don't recognize it.
0: History of the World Part One iRobot. <clears throat> Where are you going? I'm not the world's biggest Mel Brooks fan. Uh, Some leaning iRobot, but I'm not like dead set on it. I don't hate Mel Brooks.
1: Yeah, I I, I love Mel Brooks. That's my least favorite Mel Brooks. It's got some good gags, but it's very, very long. iRobot isn't for what it is. I mean, Will Smith. Is you know doing his charismatic Will Smith thing, and you know, the the idea is not bad. The special effects are not bad. It just it there's something about it that just makes it come up just short of being as good as it could be. But you know, I, I'm, I'm going to pick that one, nevertheless. I talked myself into it.
0: <laughs> Pacific Rim Wolf.
1: Oh, I could not care less which one's that i'm not i don't know i don't i hate pacific rim but wolf uh, my memory of it is pretty bad yeah
0: that one should have i mean with that cast gary nicholson and michelle Pfeiffer, we shouldn't still be talking about that to this day and yes agreed that's a good job pacific rims a shitty idea made as good as you can make it (laughs) (laughs) am i wrong (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know you're they, not wrong I know but on that front I would say wolf is a more ambitious failure so let's go with that one <laughs>
0: alright I'm all for that uh, Spanglish Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium
1: Spanglish that's the one that doesn't have Dustin Hoffman in it
0: correct Hugo dial M for murder
1: Hugo's wonderful but it's dial M <laughs> yeah it's
0: Hugo's just it's like, kind of like Raging Bull. It's just, it's hard for me to turn on. Uh, oh, this is a tough one.
1: That is very blood hard.
0: Blood Simple, Little Miss Sunshine.
1: Good God. They're so different, but they're so good.
0: <laughs> and what's so weird is where I'm leaning is the opposite where I would guess I'd be leaning. Like, I'd assume I'm leaning Blood Simple, but I'm actually leaning, leaning Little Miss Sunshine a little bit.
1: I am too. I am too. Uh, yeah. yeah. Little Miss Sunshine.
0: Yeah, that's that was very weird and difficult. Probably the closest to a coin flip for me. Oh man. Serendipity, town and country.
1: It's a Josh tribute pick, because Town and Country is one of the worst movies ever made. Uh it is absolutely unwatchable garbage. Uh whereas Serendipity is at least passable garbage.
0: That's gentle and pleasant. Let's see what we got. Rabidus
1: of bills is short. Nineteen
0: fifty. The Ten Commandments. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey.
1: Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is because the Ten Commandments has been inflicted on far too many people over the years. Total bullshit.
0: The Babadook. The Blind Side.
1: The Babadook,
0: blindsides movie that gets worse with every day that passes. Ant Man and the Wasp, Kung Fu Panda Two.
1: Ant Man and the Wasp.
0: Did I send you the Tenacious D concert that I went to?
1: No, I don't There's think a so. The whole
0: YouTube, video. like the whole concert was taped that I saw. It's, I think you'll enjoy it. And then Nine Inch Nails went on right after they <laughs> did. <laughs> Uh, Super Mario Brothers Lake Placid
1: Lake Placid
0: <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ last one the vacation remake Gandhi Which one are you going to sit through Sean you have to pick one I would
1: one. rather do 4 hours of homework on Gandhi than ever see Vacation again that's how bad Vacation is
0: You hated that movie when it came out I, I mean, hate I, never- I
1: still I still hate that movie to this moment
0: yeah and i've never actually seen gandhi but i'll assume it's better (laughs) all right that is our show we will see you next week with all things halloween and michael myers all right see ya see ya